Well, good morning. Uh, I am so thankful that you chose to come out to church today. My name is Isaac, like uh, was just said, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And I am very, very excited because we are continuing in our series titled Elevate Christ Above All Things. So here's what we've been doing. We've been looking at this little book in the New Testament titled Colossians, and it was written to a church that was in a small city called Colossae. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote as he was influenced by the Spirit of God, he wrote to them this really, really cool text about how Jesus is truly above all things and how he is the one that sustains us and he created us and he's so, so good to us. And I'm excited because we're looking at Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15 this morning. You know, um, we say like we're thankful when you come to church, especially for one of the first times, because it can be like kind of tough and intimidating to come to church. I have a friend named Mark and Amanda um, who were first-time church visitors about eight or nine years ago. This is when I was serving at a church out in the Scranton, Pennsylvania area. And what had happened was they were not involved in a church. They weren't following the Lord in any way. They didn't know a whole lot about religion. There was some Catholicism that was sort of in the background. But for all intents and purposes, they were not really following the Lord. Now, she had had a previous relationship that was really, really bad, and she had her daughter, Maddie, during that time. And then Mark was not really living for the Lord, and so she got out of that bad relationship, and they got together. They started living together and trying to raise this girl and have you know, a good relationship. And then one day, as Maddie began to ask questions about different things like Christmas and why do we celebrate that? What's the, what's the point of it? And they tried to explain to her, you know, it's like Jesus's birthday. And they realized she had zero clue about religion. She didn't really know about God. She knew nothing. And this caused a little bit of a crisis for them. Uh, they were like, that is not good. Like clear, like something was wrong. How does she not even have any idea about God? And so they started to look for a church, and my friend Mark started to do his kind of due diligence and visiting a couple different churches before finally visiting the church I was serving at, and we started having a conversation and kind of struck up a little bit of a friendship, and then he brought Amanda with him, and you know, Maddie came with her, and eventually they decided to join our small group. For whatever reason it was, they felt convicted that they just wanted to have some like wholesome friends, and so they decided to join our small group, and in that small group, my friend Mark expressed to me that he was struggling with faith because there were some things in the Bible that were really hard to understand. I think you could probably relate to this. Sometimes like if you open the Bible or you even hear about religion or the Christian faith, there are things that can be really difficult to understand. Particularly, he was struggling with the idea of science and religion. Well, what about creation and evolution and all of those things, which I have lots of thoughts and opinions on. But what I felt like the Spirit of God was telling me to do was to back away from that conversation. And when I spoke with him, what I said was, you know, Mark, here's the deal. None of that matters at all until you have figured out what you're going to do with Jesus. Because if you don't have Jesus, none of the rest of it makes any difference. If you don't have a life with him, a relationship with him, it honestly There's not really even any value in not just doing whatever you would desire to do. And it was almost like this was an opportunity for him to step back and to have the permission to wrestle through some of those difficult topics he wanted to. And the very first thing he needed to settle was this message of Jesus. That there was a man that lived 2,000 years ago who is documented in human history as 
killed by the Roman people, and he claimed to be God. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, and hundreds of people saw him after he was killed. And then he went up into heaven, and he said that if you believe in me, you'll have salvation from your sins. That is the individual you have to deal with before anything else. And when that kind of came to light in his heart, the relationship with God started and he brought his family along with that. And those things that were in his life that were sinful, they were living together before they were married and they were active in ways that they shouldn't have. And they were doing different things that would be normal for someone that's not a follower of Jesus to do. But they became convicted of that. So they lived a pure relationship and they ended up getting married. And now, eight or nine years later, they're actively following the Lord. They're leaders in their local church ministry. They are working on the worship team week after week, helping lead people in worship and working with youth and working for children. And it's an extraordinary story that demonstrates what I believe the Apostle Paul wants to pull out in this session of Colossians, which is this, that being rooted in Jesus changes everything. Every piece of our life is changed when we plant our roots into our Savior, when our life's foundation is based on Christ. But I think some questions that we have to deal with as we kind of start this discussion is, do you believe that Jesus can change everything? Because you got stuff and I have stuff that it feels like even that is outside of the power of God to do anything about. That's what our own nature says. That's a lie that we have to face. Or how about this? Do you believe Jesus can deliver you from anything? A relationship that is toxic and damaging to your soul, where you're in danger. Do you believe God can deliver you from that? From an addiction that you're facing, that you're wrestling with, from fear or angst. And I don't just say those things generally like anxiety. I mean that crippling vice that is on your heart you believe God actually has the power to change that, to deliver you? Or how about this, that he can heal you from everything? That there is nothing that is so bad, there's nothing that is so dark, that Jesus doesn't have the power to actually heal you from. Do you believe that God can give you peace from everything that would steal peace from you? I was just thinking earlier, Jesus, sometimes you work through and sometimes you work in spite of. And I really believe that God has the power to give us peace from all of those things that would rob us from peacefulness. Do you believe he can forgive everything? Do you believe that even that thing that pops into your mind that says this one is outside of what anybody could possibly forgive? Or maybe I'll put it this way. Do you believe that God can redeem everything? That he has the power to take those things that were bad, that were evil, and he actually will use them for good. That he will take the things that are broken and he'll use them for his very good purposes and for your good. I think of the times in scripture where really bad stuff happened and yet God stepped up and he used it in order to create a goodness from it. The phrase in scripture that a man named Joseph said is what what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Do you believe that there's nothing in your life that God doesn't have the power and ability to redeem, to make goodness? Well, I'll say this, being rooted in Jesus changes everything. It changes every aspect of your life. And so I would encourage you to spend some time thinking right now, what is the thing in your life 
that you're wrestling with, does Jesus have the power to handle this? Does anybody have the power to handle this? Is there a way out of this? I want to let you know that even that can be changed when you're rooted in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul knew this very well because he had a pretty dramatic conversion experience where he was very literally blinded by the light of God. And, And God said to him, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting me? And so he became um, what we know as an apostle, a follower of God who was instructed by God to deliver messages to churches. And in the end of all that, he ended up up here in Rome. He was in prison up in Rome for preaching the gospel. And it was a crazy journey to get there too. And that's where he landed. And his friend Epaphras was all the way down here on the northeast of the Mediterranean. And his friend Epaphras started a little church in the city called Colossae. And he took the message of what was going on in that church, and he brought it all the way up here to the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And the Apostle Paul was so excited about what was going on that he was inspired by the Spirit of God to pick up a pen and to write a letter to the Colossians. And that's the book that we've been going through. And so I want to start with this. We're going to pick up in um, chapter 2, verse 6. Look at this. This is what the Apostle Paul says. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And here's the main text of the morning. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. That the purpose and the goal of our life is to have roots that are secured by Jesus, that are planted within his teaching, within his truthfulness, and that our lives are built on him. You know, when we think about root systems, oftentimes we think of something like this, particularly with trees, where you have a tree that's grown big and tall and that you have roots that go deep into the ground and they secure it to the ground. Well, this happens sometimes if you're in a climate where the soil happens to be soft that far down and there's lots of nutrients that are going on in that soil. This can technically happen, but it's actually quite rare. More so what happens is like this, where there's the same tree, but those roots grow far out, and they're usually in the top two to three feet of the soil. But the reason that those roots are there are, yes, to secure the tree, but also because that is where all of the nutrients comes from. Far outside of just the canopy of the tree, those nutrients are spread all out in that soil. And so I love when the Apostle Paul says to let your roots be in Christ because it's this picture of absorbing all of those good nutrients of the gospel of Jesus, all of his promises, all of his faithfulness, all of his word, all of his community, that your roots are absorbing that. Similarly, you think of building a house. Before my wife and I built our house, we had to have this foundation here, and that goes nine or ten feet down into the ground. Why? Because you have to have a firm and steady foundation to build anything off of. The same thing is true in our spiritual lives. Actually, Paul, right before he said, let your roots grow down, just a few verses earlier, he actually explains it. He says, I want them, being the church, to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is in Christ himself. In him lie hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. You see, to have roots 
that are deeply planted, that are deeply rooted into the ground, means this here, that we are immersing ourselves in all of the things of God. But this is what I would say. If you are like me, which I suspect many of you are, faith can, be in, can feel intimidating. Because we tend to look at the people around us and we go, I will never be able to be like that person. They have it all together. Their faith is really powerful, etc. And we look at other people and it can be intimidating to see how other people handle their faith or whatever it might be. And a guy I really love, his name is Chip Ingram. He runs a ministry called Living on the Edge. He said this, and I think about this all the time. This is a great comfort to me in, in kind of a quirky way. This is what he says, talking about Genesis chapter 3. He says, recognize that everyone is desperately insecure. That may sound a little crazy, but recognize everyone is desperately insecure. Not some people, but everyone And talking about those things that we find intimidating, he says, oh, it looks so wonderful. Let me tell you, behind all of that, they are desperately insecure, just like you and just like me. That's like one of the big secrets of life, that we're all dealing with our insecurities. And even though faith can be intimidating, let me tell you this, deep roots are about your own relationship with Jesus. It's about you following the Lord faithfully, reading and studying his word, going to him in prayer, committing yourself to church, being here together, committing yourself to small groups, showing your children that there is nothing that's allowed to be above our faithfulness to Jesus and our commitment to him turning away from those things that are sinful, getting accountability with different people that can help you more. All of these different things are what it means to have roots in Jesus. And then after you have those deep roots where you're sucking up the nutrients of the goodness of God, the purpose of that is that it feeds a bigger thing. And so Paul says, let your lives be built on Jesus. And so he kind of is talking about, you know, plants and vegetation. Then he starts to talk sort of like about architecture. And so as I was processing, what is something that kind of is almost like really neat in this field? And so I thought of this building here, the Burj Khalifa. This building in Dubai is the largest or the tallest building that's ever been constructed by human beings. It's massive. It's extraordinary. It's described as essentially demonstrating the pinnacle of human engineering. This is about as good as it has the ability to get. As far as like almost like splendor goes within a building, it like announces to the world, look what's possible. And check this out. Look at some facts about this. This took 431,000 yards of concrete to construct, 43,000 tons of steel rebar. It took 22 million man hours to complete and is 2,700 feet high. That's almost half a mile tall, this one building. That is extraordinary. And why was it built? Because it announced what they wanted to tell the world, which was, look what we can do, for better or worse. Look what we have the ability to do. And in the same way, when the Apostle Paul says, let your lives be built on Christ, the image here is allow your life to portray all of the goodness and the characteristics of God. In the same way a building can do this, allow your lives to portray that. And so what does that look like? Well, another letter that Paul wrote to a church in Galatia, it says this, 
But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. See, a life that's rooted, bringing up the nutrients of godliness and is living built on a foundation of godliness demonstrates these characteristics of God. And so, to you, the question might be, are these things that your life is demonstrating? And I'm not talking about just behave yourself and look like you're doing good. I'm talking about at the very core of who you are, is this coming from your life? Or are some of these other things coming from your life? And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling and jealousy and outbursts of anger and selfish ambition and dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. You see, when we are built on a foundation like the Burj Khalifa that can demonstrate how great it is, when our lives are built on an appropriate foundation for Christ, those good things of Christ come out of us. But here's the situation. Let me share one other statistic about the Burj Khalifa with you. Look at its foundation. It's made of concrete and steel with almost 60,000 yards of concrete, and the steel and concrete weighs about 121,000 total tons. This is all underground, and there's 192 steel piles that stretch 160 feet into the ground. And the reason there's such an extraordinary um, structure underground is because that's absolutely necessary in order for the building to be built a half a mile into the sky. And so just like that building needs a firm foundation, our lives have to be rooted in Christ in order for any goodness to genuinely come out of our life. It's not about just behaving. It's about actually having godliness come from our lives. So Paul says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Christ is above all things. And so we ask the question, where are you putting your roots? Where in your life do you anchor yourself? And I think that there is essentially one way of analyzing this question honestly. Jordan Peterson makes this quote about evaluating our lives. He says this, you can only find out what you actually believe rather than what you think you believe by watching how you act. You simply don't know what you believe before that. You are too complex to understand yourself. In other words, our actions reveal where our roots are. How you live your life 
what comes from your life demonstrates whatever nutrients you're bringing up, whatever you're rooted into. And so I'll give you just a few examples of things that are serious dangers for us to root ourselves in. And you should think long and hard, are these places that I'm finding the foundation of my life? The first one is prestige, money, influence, how you look to other people, what sort of a car that you drive, what sorts of clothes you wear, what sort of bag you have, what sort of title you possess. Is prestige something that you're holding on to, that you're rooted, that if in your life you were to lose some of those things, your finances or your wealth or your house or whatever, that the house of cards would all fall down. Being rooted in this is really dangerous because it's so fickle. It changes all the time. Another really scary area is being rooted in your desire for power. This shows up in marriages in the form of abuse in a variety of ways, hurts children, creates for a boss or a manager that has the ability to just destroy your workplace. But our natural tendency, and some of you know this especially more than others, is to be rooted in your own control over this world. Your family, you'll be in control. Your finances, you'll be in control. Your work, you'll be the leader. You'll be in control of your school, or you'll be in control of your friend group, or your sports team, or your church, or your whatever it might be. That lust and desire for power is easy for us to sink our roots into to find affirmation. And then lastly, this is... Eh, we talk about it. Did you know there's an election this year? <laughs> the end of this year, we're going to be talking about a national level election. And here is a temptation for every single person to put our roots in politics. To think that the solution to our problems is who sits in the highest office of the country, who sits on whatever courts that we want them to, who's creating whatever legislation that we think will be best, et cetera, et cetera, and we go down the rabbit hole. And I'll tell you this, if political things come up that have the ability to take over your day and your attitude and your emotions, I'm not saying it's necessarily all bad, but it's an indicator that you may have your roots and your identity more firmly planted in things besides Christ. And it is something that, listen, this world is trying to tell you that your identity itself is found in our political system. And that's just not the case. And if you have roots in that before anything else, it will come out of you in a really negative way. And your life will produce all of those things that are not godliness. Now, listen, the scriptures say that we're to be involved in those different levels of politics. I am not saying that that's not something you should do and that your vote doesn't matter. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But what I am saying is that it's easy for us to find our roots planted in something that's not Christ. And these are some serious, serious temptations. Paul says this as he continues, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. You see, if you were a Jewish boy, you underwent circumcision as an example of being a Jewish person. That's part of your identity. And what he says is that no, What Jesus did was a spiritual removal of your sinful nature, not some physical procedure. 
He says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of our charges against us, of the charges against us, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You see, God revealed to the people, to his people, the Jewish people, thousands and thousands of years ago in the law. He said, there's a law, there's a requirement for holiness, there's a way to be like God that was essentially impossible to keep. And because we couldn't keep the law, God said, you're guilty. Your sinfulness condemns you, you're guilty. And that's the case. Every one of us is sinful. We have a sinful nature. By instinct, we're in rebellion against God. And God said, you're guilty. But beyond that, here's the deal. Lies that we're told today is our culture says you're guilty. Guess what? If you ever misstep, you lose all of your value to everybody around you. Your culture will tell you that you're guilty over every single thing that can go wrong, over every sin, every problem that you have, every failing that you have. And your own emotions lie to you because your emotions say that you're guilty. There's lies that bounce around in your head and it's hard to get out of it and you got that nasty feeling in your stomach all the time when stuff comes up and your emotions just tell you you're guilty, you're unworthy, you're sinful, all these things. And the enemy, the adversary, who is very real, who goes around this world looking to destroy people, he will tell you for the rest of forever, if he has the chance, you're guilty, you are guilty, and there's nothing that can be done about it. But here's the deal. Jesus said, I love you too much to leave you in your guilt. So he sent his son Jesus, who died on a cross. And when he died on the cross, God the Father looked at him and said, you are worthy enough to cover the sins and the guilt of all of mankind. And so when Jesus died, and then when he rose again, he conquered death, and now God says, you are not guilty because of salvation through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing that Jesus offers us salvation, that he defeated sin and he defeated death? And so the Apostle Paul says this as he concludes, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Here's the deal. Being rooted in Jesus changes everything. There is not a single area of your life that is not impacted by, your, by being rooted in Jesus. And so I want to tell you real briefly as we kind of conclude here, how does this play itself out at different points in time in your life? And I'm going to teach you some theology this morning, which is exciting. The first way that this starts is with salvation. The very beginning of putting our roots in Christ is, is entering into a relationship with him to begin with. Here's what salvation is. Like we already said, salvation is when you come to the point of recognizing that by your own nature, just by being born, by existing, we're sinfully rebellious against God. It doesn't take anyone to tell a kid how to misbehave or how to be sinful. We know this. But we are sinful, we're separated from God, and there's nothing that we can do to enter into a relationship with God by ourselves. There's nothing we can do. But when Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross, 
His sacrifice was worthy of disarming the power of sin. And as Paul just said, very literally, paying the penalty that was owed to God because we have a just God who is unwilling to allow sin to go unpunished. But Jesus was willing to take that upon himself. And when we believe in the name of Jesus and confess our sin to him and turn to him, we have salvation. The the apostle Paul said it like this. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And this is demonstrated with my friend Mark, who came to Christ, who committed his life to Christ, and that fell over into his family, and then they knew Christ together. And these years later, it's worked itself out in their leadership over their church and their ministries, and their entire culture and family there. Everything is founded in Jesus, and they're living an amazing life with him. And so there's that moment of salvation, but that's not the end. Because that salvation, in a sense, though it is a ceiling for eternity of your relationship with the Lord, it plays itself out over the course of your life. And that's what's called sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus for the rest of your life up until the moment you die. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. All of those things of absorbing the nutrients of a commitment to the Lord, of planting your life firmly in him, that's what we call sanctification, taking your next step towards Jesus, whether it's the first step or, the, or a step somewhere along the way of choosing to turn away from those things that are evil, that are demonic, that are sinful, that are bad, that take us in a sense, away from being immersed in the love of the Lord because we sometimes tend to walk away from that willingly because of the temptation of sinfulness. But sanctification is becoming more like Jesus, continuing to receive his salvation. And the last one here, which might be a word you've never heard before, but I promise you is really wonderful. The end result of a life with Jesus is glorification. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Glorification is when the follower of Jesus is no longer living in your mortal body. When you die or when Christ comes again. The promise of scripture is that the Lord himself will resurrect us and will have new bodies, that we will be with him on the new earth forever and forever and forever. And God the Father, as we learn in Revelation 21, literally comes down out of heaven with the new Jerusalem. He comes to earth and he's physically with us. The scriptures say that God's dwelling place is now with us in his very light actually is all of the light that we need to even see by day and by evening. And there's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more crying. God, our Father, very literally comes to us and wipes the tears away from our eyes of a life of suffering and pain and sinfulness. But glorification is when we will be with him forever and forever and forever. And that is the ultimate hope of every single follower of Jesus. Now hear me out. This is not that you go through all this to get a get out of hell free card, but it's about the end of a relationship with Jesus in this life is the beginning of an eternity with Jesus forever and forever and forever. 
And that's why we say that being rooted in Jesus changes everything. I asked you to be thinking earlier about a place in your life that you really want to see Jesus work in. And asking, do you believe he has the power to work in those areas? So here's what I would like to do.